Well, amen. It's not easy to be a music guy with me, Dan. So I thank you for having one in the hopper. I appreciate it so much. I, and uh, sometimes I forget things and uh, I'm thinking about other things. I forgot my, my voice box and so I was in trouble. It reminded me, I was pastoring a church. We, we used to do faith evangelism at like four o'clock on Sunday afternoons. And um, so you, you have a time of instruction and then you go out for an hour and you come in, you do your report and then go into worship service and, and uh, for evening service. And uh, so uh, my team, we, uh, was at, we were in a person's house there for faith evangelism and we, I was talking to this guy and his Catholic background, so he had a lot of work, salvation stuff stuck in his, his mind. And so I was trying to get him to come to Christ and he kept asking questions. And I'm looking at my watch, and it's 15 minutes before worship service, and it takes 20 minutes to get back. And he keeps asking questions, and I look at my watch, and it's five minutes before worship service, and it takes 20 minutes to get back. And I'm looking at my watch, and it's 10 minutes past when worship service starts, and it takes 20 minutes to get back. And I'm thinking to myself, would you hurry up and get saved, buddy? I got somewhere I need to be. And so I finally roll in uh, to the worship time about 30 minutes late. And uh, the worship guy said, man, I was about to run out of songs. And uh, he said, that guy better have gotten saved because, man, we just emptied the hopper. We did everything we know. We sang it already and we we're about to go twice on it. And uh, good news is that that guy did come to Jesus eventually. But uh, yeah, so yeah, Dan, uh, just always be ready. Who knows uh, what may happen? Dan's a, a, a great planner, but I don't know if he plans enough to put up with my shenanigans. We'll see. Well, you're in Daniel chapter number six this morning and working on the book of Daniel and you realize I have to take a, a, a break from Daniel here in a couple of weeks and we'll do a few uh, sermons on Christmas time and then we'll get back and finish Daniel up uh, after the first of the year but Daniel chapter six title of sermons he's able to deliver you February 2015 Islamic terrorist organization ISIS they had uh, 21 Christians most of them Egyptian background Christians um, by ethnicity, they were had these Christians kneeling on the beach in Libya, and ISIS uh, videotapes this whole thing as they begin to behead these Christians one by one. And all that these Christians had to do to save their own life was just utter a simple phrase, and that phrase would be, "Allah is great, and you know who is His prophet." And one by one, they refused and lost their lives. The purpose, ISIS's purpose in this, in this scenario was to create fear, especially in the Islamic world, that anyone who turns to Christ will lose their life under the reign of ISIS. You would have expected that there would have been great terror among the Christians in Egypt. But instead, we find the opposite. In an interview with one of the mothers, the mom of a 25-year-old who was beheaded on the beach, she was asked what she thought and how she felt about the whole situation. The reporter expected her to say words of vengeance and hatred toward ISIS. But instead, she said, I'm just proud of my son that he did not deny Christ even at the point of the sword. 
what would you have done? If that would have been you kneeling on that beach, what would you have done? Would you have said the words that you really didn't mean to save your own life and ask for forgiveness from God later? What would you have done? How would that have gone for you? Would you have been able to stand up under the pressure that would have come your way? If you were being threatened in this way because of your faith in Christ. See, it's interesting that many of us can become very, very brave about some things in life. If our family's in danger, we can become very brave. If our freedom is at stake, we can become very brave. If someone threatens our nation, we can become very brave. But when the honor of Christ is threatened as Christians, it's amazing how cowardly we can become. What would you have done? Well, the prophet Daniel faced something very similar to this in Daniel chapter 6. This is a familiar section of the Bible for many people. If you've been in church at all, you've probably heard this story. But we want to take a look at it today because God speaks to us freshly. Sometimes he just repeats what we've already known. A principle that he needs to remind us of. Or a correction in our understanding of him that we need to make. But whatever it may be, may God help each one of us to discern from this familiar section of scripture. Something that God would want us to know. In the first nine verses, what you see here is this injunction against Daniel. And so let's read these first nine verses of chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom then the the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him then these men said We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. The injunction against the prophet. It's caused by the envy of the satraps and the other high officials. We see there in the scripture that the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against God. What was the reason for their complaint? Why were they trying to find something wrong with Daniel? Well, the problem, the root cause was envy. They envied his advancement. 
They were jealous of the fact that he was going to be over them. He was going to be the one sole person over the kingdom except for the king himself. And they envied his power and his position. You see, Daniel was about 80 years old by now. Interesting in the book of Daniel, we see him as a teenager standing for Christ. We see him as a middle-aged person standing for Christ. Now we see him as an old man standing for Christ. Daniel was probably semi-retired at this point. He really didn't want to be in politics at all. But it seems that God kept dragging him to the forefront and saying, Okay, Daniel, it's time for you to stand. And so these men, envious of Daniel, they wanted to bring him down. Daniel was distinguished, as verse 3 tells us, and then the king planned to promote him. So that's the envy of the satraps. Now look at the establishment of a trap, verses 6 through 9. They say, we're not going to find any ground for complaint against Daniel, this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God in verse 5. They looked at his life. His integrity was indisputable. Verse 4 tells us that he was faithful in his work. He did what the king asked him to do. He did it with the right heart. He did it with all of his might and with all of his mind. Whatever he set his hands to do, he did it with all of his might, as the scripture says. And so there could, there was no fault found in Daniel as far as the kingdom was concerned. And verse 5 tells us that there, uh, not only was his integrity indisputable, but his piety was undeniable. They knew about his dedication and his devotion to God because they said the only way we're going to find anything wrong with Daniel is this. We're going to have to find something in connection with the law of God. Something about his worship of Yahweh God. That's going to be our inroad. We can't get him on the other things. He shows up to work. He does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't complain. He doesn't badmouth the king. He works as he's supposed to work and he goes home. We can't find anything wrong with his work ethic. Therefore, we're going to have to find something wrong with his religion. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 gives us as Christians in our day... And it is a reflection of the life of Daniel. But in our day, this scripture is ours. Peter says very simply in two sentences, these words. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He was speaking of Caesar who was a homosexual. A perverted man. An ungodly man. A pagan. And Peter said this thing, these two things of Christians. First of all, fear God. And honor the emperor. But we are reminded that there is an order. And that order must not be subverted. First and foremost is fear God. You fear God first. Then you can honor the emperor. And so Daniel. That was his order. And we'll see that played out through this story. He did not twist the order. He did not flip it over. He did not turn it upside down. He honored Darius. Who was a pagan emperor. Darius was not a Christian man. It's not like Daniel throughout his life was working for United Way here. This is tough going. He wasn't working for the Salvation Army. Here Daniel is working for a a man who has been known to be a ruthless king. They had conquered the world. and They didn't conquer the world back then by treaties. They conquered the world with heads. 
And so here's what, here's Daniel said, I'm going to honor this guy. I've been called to work for him. This is my position in life. This is my station. So I'm going to work for him. I'm going to do it with all my might. But I'm going to above all things fear God. And these high officials knew that Daniel's primary allegiance was to his God. And that's where they could get him. The principle here is this. Christians, listen carefully because you need this and I need this in our day. If we have a reputation for being lawless, undisciplined, always against authority, always looking for a place to stand up for our rights, if we're that kind of person, then when it's time to stand for God, our testimony will fall flat. They will see that as just another opportunity for you to express your rebellious spirit. And the world will not take notice. They will see that as you taking another opportunity to try to flaunt your supposed power and authority. They'll see it just another instance or another avenue for you to vent your rebellious nature. So hear this clearly. And I was talking with some people about this this morning. We were talking about how the culture has changed and what do you do about it? Here's, here's step number one. That is this. The ground of your testimony, the place from which it's going to be launched, is simply this. The integrity of your work. Your work ethic. Do you know what's lacking in our nation today? you know what's a shocking thing to see? Somebody with a work ethic. It's rare. You hear people with no training, no experience, no nothing, going getting a job for $30 an hour and complain about it. People showing up for work and working two days and say, I can't take it. Are you kidding? Come on, sunshine, man up. Do you know what's going on? And, and then you have people like, hey, I, I, and I, you know, you can stone me if you want to. But we have people that, you know, they, they work under a union contract and just sit around and watch the clock tick because they can't be fired. Smoke dope on the job, get drunk, whatever they want to do, can't be fired. No work ethic. See, that's an internal thing. There's no organization that's going to create a work ethic for you, union or non-union. It's not going to do it for you. What is it that creates a work ethic? That you know that whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Whether you're cleaning out horse stalls or scrubbing the toilet at Wendy's, you're doing it for the glory of God. And so that's what needs to be seen. That's what's different now in our culture. You can't launch your testimony for Jesus that Jesus saves when he hasn't saved the way you work. If he hasn't redeemed that, if he hasn't changed that, if you're still lazy and rebellious and a big mouth on the job. You say, well, preacher, I don't tell dirty jokes. I'd rather you tell dirty jokes and work hard than the opposite. You're worried about the wrong thing. People see how you work. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. Please don't. But I'm just saying you're emphasizing the wrong thing. As long as you're somewhat moral, you think oh, I'm doing good on the job. No, no, you're not. You must be like Daniel. When they look at your work, they say there's no fault. Nobody can bring one ground of complaint against this person. They can bring false complaints, 
but they can't bring true ones. I was in a coffee shop not long back, and they had this pastry. It's like a chocolate croissant. And, and you know, if it has chocolate in it, I don't care. I'll eat chocolate-covered possum. I don't even care. <laughs> so, chocolate in it. And the young lady behind the counter, and I thought to myself, that would be good, warmed up just a hair. And I said to her, hey, uh, could we, warm, or my wife, I don't remember which one, but could, could we warm that up just slightly in the microwave? Do you have a microwave? Yeah, we have one. Could you warm it just, I mean, 20 seconds would be great. No, we can't do that. Why not? Because our baker said that it's not good to warm them up. Girl, I don't think your baker's paying for this right now. She was too stinking lazy. That's what it was. Too stinking lazy. It wasn't like there was a line out the door. Just the two of us standing there. And everybody else on their headphones with their computer around everywhere. We, we just wanted some coffee. Let me circle back around. I don't care. Just, why can you not? You know what it is? Lazy. Just it, and hateful. Then you know what she did with our coffee? Instead of handing it over to me, she takes it down to the end of the counter and sets it down. My wife's holding onto my arm. Please don't kill people. You know, <laughs> please don't kill them. So, the just work ethic, not wanting to work. See, that kind of thing, that kind of thing, that's what you don't want to be as a Christian. People are going to be ugly. Believe me, I work in a, and I work in a, a, an environment um, here. It, it's great uh, during the week. But when people come here, they're just problems. And, and people where they're having problems are not always nice. Even Christian people. And the pagans usually are nice. But the Christians are not always nice. What, what do you have to... You, you, have to you, you have to respond correctly. You have to go loaded knowing you're living in Babylon now, guys. You, you're not living in Jerusalem. You're in Babylon. We are now in exile in this country. Don't you understand that? That's where we are. And so you have to get armed up for battle every day. You don't have to correct anybody. You don't have to change their mind. You don't have to convince them of the reality of Jesus. You don't have to do any of those things. You've got to work. Work for a living. Work. And that's what Daniel did. And so they couldn't trap him. The reason this episode in the Bible is it, it's in here is, is for this reason. So that we can see God's man being persecuted directly and clearly because of his faith in the Lord. Sometimes we're persecuted just because we're jerks. We take our Christianity, put it on a sleeve and act like an idiot. I, I, I always think it's funny when those people get persecuted. I'm like, yeah, you deserve that. Get them. You know, let, let the heathens eat them up. Learn to be polite. If Daniel is not faithful in the workplace, then it would have been uncertain why he was actually being persecuted. Do you see? If he's not doing what he's supposed to do on the job, if he's not working as he's supposed to, and these people come against him, then here's the thing. It's, then his testimony for the Lord becomes really cloudy now. Because is he being persecuted because he's a Christian? Or is he being 
persecuted because he's just not a good worker. Which one is it? You see, when we don't have the right work ethic, our testimony for the Lord becomes very cloudy. And it's, it's extremely difficult on the job to know if you're getting pushback because you're a believer or because you're a lousy employee. And most people will assume you're a lousy employee and that's why you're getting it. So you, you have to do this or your testimony is null and void at work. If you want to know why more people are not curious about your faith, it's because you're not making them curious. Your work ethic is no different. So we as Christians have to be the kind of people that our work ethic is different. Sometimes, and I'm saying this for your encouragement, because sometimes man, you go to work at a place, it's just miserable to be there. I mean, if you don't believe that happens in America, ask my staff people. It's miserable working with me. So, but, but you go, you know, really seriously, you go to, it's just sometimes just miserable. You think to yourself, there is hell on earth and I'm in it. But you're there for this purpose. Just that day. That one day that you're there, just today is all you got to worry about. Do it with all your might for the glory of God. Just that one day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just that one day. Do it. Wake up the next day. Lord God, in Jesus' name, give me the power to just work today. And to do it with an attitude toward the glory of God. Just give me that today, Lord. I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm not going to do less than what I ought to do. I'm not going to have a rebellious attitude. When the supervisor comes around and acts like a snot, I'm not going to throw boogers. I am just, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm just going to do it. And God, by your strength, see, that takes a lot of strength to do that. It takes a lot. So this is what you want in life if you want your testimony as a Christian to be something that's powerful. Now, what's the persecution of the prophet? What, what does this look like? Verses 10 through 18, we here we see it coming. So the king signs this injunction, this edict that anybody that prays even during this time to anyone asks anything of any God except asking the king. Then we throw in the lines then. What does Daniel do? Verse 10, when Daniel knew, he was for sure about it. That the document had been signed. He went to his house. Where he had windows in his upper chamber. Open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees. Three times a day and prayed. And gave thanks before his God. As he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement. And found Daniel making petition. And plea before his God. Then they came near. And said before the king. Concerning the injunction. O king. Did you not sign an injunction. That anyone who makes petition. To any God or man. Within 30 days. Except to you. O king. Shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said. The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and Persians. Which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king. Daniel. Who. Who is Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den 
And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Now, here's this, this is the persecution of the prophet now. See, the piety of the prophet is observed. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks for his God as he had done previously. Here's what we see about Daniel and his worship of the Lord. He had courage. He knew. He knew what was coming if he did this. He did it anyway. His concentration in his worship. He prayed toward Jerusalem. Now, there's nothing magic about praying toward Jerusalem. You you don't have to figure out which way is east and pray that way. It makes no difference whatsoever. But Daniel was in exile. And he used this method to remind himself of where he's from and where he's going. Sometimes we need habits in our lives in order to remind us. And some of you have particular or even peculiar habits in your prayer. You may pray at the same place all the time. You may pray uh, sitting in the same chair all the time. I, I don't know what it is. I had a man that was a member of my church. And he wanted me to come by his house and just visit for a while. And so I did. And we sat and talked. He had two recliners there. We just kind of sat there and talked for a good while. And he said, uh, Pastor, I want to show you something. So he took me to a little room, and in that room there was just a a little small couch, like a a settee or something. And on one side there was a little table, a little end table, and on that table was a Bible and a pair of glasses. And he said, this is where I pray for you and for our church. And I looked at that little settee and on one side, that thing was worn out. Just on one side, the side closest to that end table. Where that man spent hours and hours. That was his habit to pray. This was Daniel. It was said of the Apostle James that he had knees like a camel. Because he spent so much time in prayer. Daniel was that kind of prophet as well. And so we see his courage and his concentration. His condescension. He got down on his knees. Now you and I know. That posture in prayer. Does not cause our prayers to be more effective. Whether you're standing, sitting or kneeling. It doesn't make your prayer more effective in and of itself. However. Sometimes posture in prayer will affect your heart. And when the heart is affected by the posture, then the prayer is made more effective. Sometimes you just say, well, I'm too old to get down. Daniel was 80. So I can't physically get down. No, everybody get down. Your issue is you can't get up. And we understand that, right? But sometimes you need to change posture in prayer. Sometimes you just lay down on the floor with your face down to the floor and pray. Sometimes kneeling down and pray. Sometimes go out and, and, and get under a tree somewhere and pray. Anything that you need to do that would stir your heart. This is what Daniel did. And notice the constancy in prayer. He prayed three times a day. He had a schedule. 
You know, if you don't plan to pray, you won't pray. You have to have a prayer plan or you won't pray. The only things you'll pray about is just kind of incidental things. Oh, God, help me find a parking place. Oh, dear Lord, help me miss people on Bridge Street, you know. That's about all you'll praise, that kind of stuff. Oh, God, help my kid not to be such a nuisance and and those other things. But as far as concentrated prayer, you won't pray. You have to have a plan. And notice the content of his prayer. He prayed and gave thanks. Realize Daniel is surrounded by just ungodliness. He's living in Babylon in a dark and ungodly culture. Anything goes. And here he is living there. And not only that, he's involved in politics. He's up in, up in the king's court here. He's one of the highest advisors in the land. Do you think his advice is not countered every time he gives it by all the other counselors? It's like he's on the cabinet and he's the only sane believer on there. The rest of these people are all up into paganism and idolatry. Do you think Daniel's advice, every time he gives it, all the others are going like, no, no. Every day of his life, no, that's wrong. No, that's silly. That's crazy. That's Daniel. But yet he gave thanks. 80 years old. Still going strong. Now here's the question to to think of. And and this is important. In in this last point we were looking at. We were finding a principle. And and I want to remind you. The principle is. If we're lawless and rebellious and lazy at work, don't expect to be able to give an effective testimony of the Lord Jesus. Okay? So that's the principle we learned in that first part. But, but now we, we have a, a, a different question here. When Daniel learned that it was against the law to pray publicly, why didn't Daniel just go home, close the windows, and pray privately? He still could have prayed. His prayer would still be heard by God. We're not praying to please people anyway. So why didn't he just go home and pray privately rather than this outward display of his faith in Yahweh God, which gets him in trouble? Why didn't he just go home and, and just, just kind of fly under the radar as a Christian? That would have been better, right? Here's the reason. If Daniel had changed his habit of prayer at this point, then his testimony would have been this, that Darius is as a God and is in control of the worship of Yahweh God. He would have been regarding the command of the king more than the command of God. Now, let's let's put that in, in terms maybe we could understand better. If your habit is to attend with the other believers, Sunday morning worship. And you do that. And let's say, for whatever reason, the government says you can't do that anymore. Or you can only have ten at a time in there. You can't do it anymore. If you defy that order and continue to come worship, then you are demonstrating a testimony that fear God is first before honoring the emperor. Okay? Now, on the other hand, your choice would be, well, I can stay home and watch it on the internet. You know, I can watch it on Facebook. And I'm still worshiping. But you've lost your testimony. You see, 
a public stand. What, what you're doing every Sunday is making a public stand before everybody. You say, nobody knows I'm coming. Oh, yeah, they do. This morning, I, I was getting in the car past my neighbor. He talks to me every time he walks by. This time he was walking by, walking his dog. He sees me in a suit and he's just looking. It's Sunday. He knows. See, it's a testimony. Now, on the other hand, let's say that you're the kind of person that you claim membership here. You hardly ever attend. You just really are not into it. You just rather just stay home and sleep in on Sundays, you know, because you love sleep more than you love your Savior. Oh, yeah, it is. That's the truth. It's the only day off I have. Whatever. It's family day. No, that's called Saturday. And all the other days that you're running back and forth, taking your kid to every kind of sports event in the world. Those are family days. Sunday. So let's say you don't. And then you hear the government restricts you and you're not supposed to go. And then all of a sudden you start showing up. That's not a good testimony either. What you're showing then is you're just rebellious. That you're just not going to be told what to do. That's not, a, that's not a testimony for the Lord. Do you understand? But if you have habits of piety, habits of devotion to the Lord that you have maintained in your life, and when those are trying to be taken away, you must not change your habit, whatever the cost may be. You understand? So, that's a, see, that's, you know, when you're talking about, well, how do you handle, pastor, all the COVID stuff, you know, and, well, you, you handle most of it blindly. We don't know what we're doing. But how, how do you handle all this stuff? By principles. One, do not present ourselves as defiant. If there are ways that we can comply, we'll try to comply. But I'm going to tell you something that Mike DeWine nor Joe Biden is ever going to do. Tell us we can't gather for worship. This is the habit of our lives. It is a demonstration, a public demonstration of our faith in God. And we're just not going to change it. I'm sorry. Just not going to. No. They can park police cars across the front. We'll just come around through the field. Other people do. We have secret guardians on our property that no paths that we can, do, can take to get in here. The bicycle man can show us. We have catacombs, Dan. We do out in the woods, man. If we have to go worship in the catacombs, we can do it, man. We can do it. The bicycle man has, he knows. So why do you attend church publicly with other believers rather than merely sitting at home watching on TV? Again, you, you have to realize something. Public worship is more than gaining information. It's not just getting information. It's making a public stand every week that the worship of the living God will not be set aside in your life for any reason. That nothing will take it away. Nothing. We don't have to march in the street. We don't have to protest at the courthouse. We don't have to do any of those things. We just keep doing what we do. We gather, we pray. We worship, we study the scriptures, we commit ourselves to the Lord again, and we go home. That's our protest against society. That's our protest. This is our protest against the culture. This is it. Don't give it up. Encourage your friends. 
Now the report against the prophet. They say of Daniel. He pays no attention to you. They, they all got the evidence that they needed. Now it's time for Daniel to pay. Note too this about the king. Had he obeyed the Lord. He would not have been in this mess. But do you know what happened to the king? He started worrying about public approval. And he wanted the approval of those people around him. And so now he falls to their plan and now they've got him. He is enslaved to them. He's the king of the land. But he's enslaved to them. He, he has to pay what they say. He can't change this now. On the other hand, if he would have followed the Lord and said, no, Yahweh is God. And, and, and anybody that worships Yahweh God, we're, we're not going to stop them from doing that. He's the, he's the most high God. At least if he had some kind of cultural respect for God, he would have said, no, we're not going to stop the worship of Yahweh God. This is a stupid law. We're not going to do that. But no, the king is working politics and working his friends and trying to make sure that everybody gives him, man, Lord God, he, he doesn't want to wake up on Monday morning and see on Fox News that he has a bad approval rating. And so he caves. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an important point, not only for, for Christians, but also Christian pastors. If you're going to pastor a church and worry about public approval all the time, you're going to die. The principle has to simply be this. No, whether you like it or not, we will obey the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Whether it's fun, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, we're just going to obey the Lord here. And so had Darius done that, he would not have been in this mess. But now, he is at a place where he's like Pontius Pilate. He wants to wash his hands of it, but he can't. Every time he dips his hands in the bowl, the blood of Daniel is on him. He can't get out of it. And so he can't sleep. Why? Because he knows it's wrong. He's taken the best man in his kingdom... And thrown him to the lions to be eaten. Why? Because he allowed himself to be moved by the applause of people. I don't know how many times I, as a senior pastor, I have a staff people say, Pastor, our people are not going to like it. My response is, does God? Then... We know what our plan is. We make it our aim to please him. The apostle Paul said. We don't live by public approval. Hey. Probably the smartest pastor in church history. Was voted out of his church. Jonathan Edwards. For standing for the word of God. But you know what? He left with a clear conscience. Same thing for you in your life. Don't be moved by all the other things. Don't be moved by what people think. It's hard to do. It's not easy. I mean, some of you are much more like, I don't know, like kind-hearted people. And it, you know, bothers you. What pe- it bothers everybody what other people think of you. It bothers everybody. But you've got to be courageous. You don't have to be mean, ugly, or arrogant. Daniel wasn't. But you've got to be courageous. Don't be moved. Now, the vindication of the prophet. Was he right or not? Should Daniel have secretly worshipped God rather than allowing his worship to remain public? Was he right or not in doing this? 
Is it true that Yahweh is God over everything? Or is Darius right and he's a little God? And, and is it right that Daniel should have bowed to the local authorities rather than to the authority of God? Is Daniel wrong or right? See, what's on the line here is not God just merely physically rescuing one of his children. We all know that there are times, I gave the illustration at the beginning, some of his children are beheaded on the beach in Libya, 21 of them in one day. God doesn't always run to your rescue So, in this world. So what, how do we know when he does and when he doesn't? It all depends, doesn't it? On this, is his name on the line, not yours. Is his name on the line. And if it's going to exonerate his name, then he's going to rescue. If not, he's going to bring you to heaven. It's a win-win for you. So the vindication. So when Darius comes in verse 19, the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He wanted to get there before anybody else. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let's hold right there for just a moment. Notice that he's affirmed here. Affirmed by whom? By God. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. Now, here's something important to remember. Daniel credits the author of his deliverance, not the agent of it. He doesn't come out of this pit saying, man, you should have seen the angel that was in there. This angel was so cool. Wow, do you know about angels? Angels, angels, angels. Wow, angels are so fun. Christians. (laughs) Daniel's, my God is the author of this. My God is the one who delivered me. You see, we mess this up a lot. Sometimes we have something going on, maybe something physically in our life, and God sends his agent called a doctor. And we, if we're not careful, we'll give the credit to the agent rather than the author. You say, well, my doctor is not a Christian. Does that ever stop God? God doesn't have to have your cooperation, by the way, to get the job done. But God sent his agent there in his life. Sometimes when you're a young person, a teenager, and your parents are an agent of the Lord working in your life, and you're saying, well, my parents are not Christians They're still the agent of God. They're doing something in your life that God wants to see happen. Maybe it's to test your resolve. To see how dedicated to Jesus are you really going to be. So Daniel doesn't credit the agent. That would be idolatry. And notice Daniel says, I was found blameless. Now Daniel doesn't mean this. That he's delivered because he's sinless. 
That's not what he means. The reason God delivered me is because I was sinless. No, in verse 22, that's not what he means. He means this, that he's proven right, that his worship is blameless. It's the right kind of worship. He worshiped God and he's proven right in that he worshiped God rather than obeying the king's command. This is Daniel's way of saying this to Darius. And so this shows that I was right and you're wrong. And then it says, because he trusted in his God. This does not mean that everybody who trusts in God is going to have their physical life spared in this world. That's not what it means. But in this case, the test is this. Who is the God who is trustworthy? Who is the God that can be relied upon? Who is the God that's real? Who is the God that delivers? Who is the God who saves? That's what's on the line right now. Not only between Daniel and Darius, but between Daniel and the whole nation. And so Daniel, in this case, is delivered. Who's God, Darius or Yahweh? Darius said it was himself. You don't need to worry about petitioning a God. Petition me. I'll take care of it. You petition me. You don't need a God. You've got me. Is Darius God? Yahweh proved Daniel was right. So God is publicly affirming. Now, here's a verse that you may have a problem with. Verse 24. And the king commanded. And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives... And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, <clears throat> did God command Darius to do that? No. That's Darius' own volition there. God certainly allowed it. It's a little bit of a conundrum, isn't it? But here's the point. Why is that in the scripture? Here's, here's, what he's, here's what God's proving. Daniel wasn't rescued from the lion's den because the lions weren't hungry. He was rescued because the angel came and gave him lockjaw. See, now he's proving that these lions were famished. Because they didn't just take one guy. They got all their families. They just had a feast. Do you know what happened when those people hit the bottom of the den? The lion said, oh boy, dinner on the grounds. And so, so the, this is the point. That, these, that Daniel's not, he's not delivered by some kind of natural phenomenon here. He's delivered by the hand of God. And then what's the result? God is publicly, his praise is publicly announced. And so we have Darius. He wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the light. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So God here is publicly, his praises publicly announce. Now Darius seems to be willing to acknowledge the power of God. But there's something that is a little troubling in his announcement here. 
He is more than willing to acknowledge the great power of God. He's willing that God would be a part of their culture. But he doesn't appear to surrender his life to the Lord. Notice his wording. The God of Daniel. He doesn't say my God. He doesn't own him personally now. He's acknowledging the power of God. Like many people do in our country, they utter the name of God, acknowledge His power, acknowledge His existence, but they don't surrender their life to Him. Those are two different things. Those are completely two different things. Oh, I know He's a Christian, talks about God all the time. So do the demons in hell talk about God all the time. It's not about talking about God. It's about a surrendered life. Do you think Darius would have gone and continued to pray publicly if they would have thrown him in the lion's den? Absolutely not. He continues to talk about the Lord as Daniel's God, but he doesn't say my God. There's a lack of personal commitment here with Darius. So what do we do with this? Okay, so uh, Daniel in the lion's den, you've seen this many times and read this story probably several, several times. So what, what do we do with it? Okay, so let me see if I can wrap it up here. And um, so I think maybe a couple of things, a couple of ideas here that, that God would, would say to us. The question, how do you stand against public evil in this world? The, the evil that surrounds us now that's so obvious. I mean, evil has always been around us here in our country, but now it's so obvious. It's like unrestrained evil now. Right? That's the difference. Whereas before, those things may have existed, but they were kind of in the, in the, in the, you know, back in the shadows. And we didn't have to deal with it all the time. It wasn't in our face all the time. But now it's all around us. It's talked about, you know, and if, and if you don't agree with it, you're villainized and all that stuff. So how, how do you deal with or stand against the public evil of this world? First of all, this. Establish your public holiness. How do you establish public holiness? Integrity at work is one, and the practice of public worship is two. Those two things must be a bedrock in your life. If you don't establish that foundation, you are not going to be able to stand against the public evil of this world. So those two things, integrity at work and the practice of public worship, do not fail in those two areas. Secondly, this. Step two. Keep the order right. You're going to be confronted with things. You're, you're going to have to deal with decisions. Like, should I do this? Should I not do it? How, how should I handle this? So here's your principle. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In that order. Never change the order. Get the order right. The order is fear God. And then honor the emperor. First Peter 2.17 Never allow the pressure of work, the government, family, whatever, to take away your public worship of the Lord. Don't ever do that. Now, let's just do something practically. Let's, let's take what we're trying to learn here and do something that's real and practical. What if your public school has a gay pride week? Come into a school near you. What are you going to do? And participating in Gay Pride Week, the guys are supposed to wear skirts. And the girls are supposed to wear suits like this. 
What if you're a student or a teacher even? And they're wanting you to wear a rainbow t-shirt or sweatshirt or something. What do you do with that? Well, I might lose my job or they might kick me out of school. Yeah, see, that's the thing about public school now. You can smoke dope. But you better not be against certain things. Right? What are you going to do about this? I mean, this is real. This is not far-fetched. This is real. What do you do? Well, I think ask this. How would Daniel handle it? What if Daniel's a teenager at your school? How, how would he handle this? You see, you never see Daniel screaming at anybody. You never see Daniel getting in somebody's face and arguing, you know, his point of view. You never see that from Daniel. Daniel's he's the most unassuming prophet I've ever seen. He just kind of goes through life and then suddenly somebody calls him and says, King needs you. And you know what he knows then? Oh boy. But there are times when he is confronted and now he has to decide, what am I going to do with this? So what would Daniel do? I don't know. This is not the whole answer. You, you need to think on this. You're a student, you're a teacher at public school, or, or you're at work and they're going to do this kind of thing. So, so what do you do? What, well, number one, you're going to keep on doing what you've always done, whatever that is. If you carry your Bible to school, you're going to keep carrying it. If you meet together with other students for prayer in the morning before school, then you're going to keep doing that. You're going to keep doing what you what you always that you've always done. Now, if you don't have any public habits established, then you know it's not going to, it's going to be a moot point for you. So, I would say establish public habits before this comes, so that it will make a difference. But what if you establish public prayer groups for that week? Say, look, you know what we're going to do during this week? A few of us as Christians, we're going to gather at X place every day, and we're going to pray for our school. Why not? Now listen, those of you that are from like a certain branch of Christianity, we don't need any prayers that are vindictive. We don't need any inflammatory language. We don't need from your prayer, Oh God, cast the demons out of these evil people. We don't need that. That's not what Daniel did and you don't need that kind of... This is not the time for debate. You do what Daniel did. What did he do? He simply thanked God. You live in Babylon too. The name of your school is Babylon High School. I don't care what name they put on it. And you pray for your enemies like the Lord taught us do, to do. Pray for those who hate you and despitefully use you. You pray for mercy for them. You pray for God's kindness upon them. You pray positively and not hatefully. Don't preach a sermon at them through prayer. I remember being a lost guy and, you know, some guy wanted to pray at the table. But okay, we can pray, sure. And so, bow head prayer. And, you know, he prays, you know, the Roman road at me. Made me so mad. I thought, well, next time, at least buy me a steak if you're going to do that to me, you know. So, the strategy here is establish your public holiness and keep the order right. Fear God, honor the emperor. But you're going to have to think through these things because they are coming. Here's the other thing we can think of, a different topic, but that we could learn from what we've seen here in, in this chapter of Daniel. 
Maybe you yourself, you're like Daniel. You acknowledge that God is real. You have the cultural, quote, Christianity that so many people have in our area of the world. You acknowledge God is real. You, you know that he's done things in your life and you give him credit for all those things. You know the blessings. You can sing God bless America, land that I love, and all of those things that are the trappings of that kind of thinking. But you have refused to come to him and surrender to him on his terms. You keep trying to negotiate terms with God. God doesn't negotiate. He holds all of the power. God doesn't negotiate with you. He tells you the terms of surrender. The terms of surrender are these. Stop trying to be God. You're not. Just get a hold of that reality for a moment. You don't get to decide. You don't get to make your own plans. You don't get to decide what's right and wrong in your life personally for you. You don't get to decide what is your truth and all that baloney. You're not God. You don't get to decide. You have to acknowledge first of all that He is Lord over all things and He gets to say. You get to that point, then you want to ask this question, then what does God say? And God says this, you are a sinner and have rebelled against me. And the penalty for rebellion is death. And that is your future. You have to own that. Yes, Lord, you are right. I am a rebel. I've rebelled against you. You're right. And then the third thing is this. But there is one who was slain in your place for your rebellion that you might go free. If you'll turn to him and surrender to him, trust in what he's done for you on the cross and that Jesus rose from the dead, God's forgiveness and his acceptance of you into his family will be yours. Those are God's terms. You can decide what you want to do with them. Those are God's terms. You can go on and continue to have a Darius kind of quote Christianity, which is so popular that has no guts, no theology, no basis, no foundation, no nothing. It's just kind of this nebulous, I believe in God kind of thing. And you will find yourself in hell with the demons who also believe in God. The Bible says the demons believe in hell and tremble. They know that God is real. So acknowledging that God's real is not enough. Darius acknowledged it, but he didn't come to Jesus. You must not only acknowledge that God is real, you must get figured out what does that mean. And I must surrender to him. We know this. This is the truth. If you're a Christian and you're in a tough place because of your faith in Christ, not because of anything else, but because your faith in Christ, he's able to deliver you. But not only this, if you're a non-Christian, and I don't care how you've sinned and what you've done, if you'll come to him, he's able to deliver you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that you give us your word. I pray, Father, and ask you that it would be the tool that you use to penetrate our hearts and our minds that we may live for you. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, they would come to you today and give their life over to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.